0: Hey hunters and shooters, whether you're in the field, at the range, or on the factory floor, hearing is the key to your success and safety, and you need to protect it. The all-new Phantom from Soundgear is here to help. Phantom delivers benefits no other product can. Dynamic digital noise protection for your ears. Seamless compression automatically suppresses noises at dangerous levels. Stream calls, music, or other audio wirelessly from your phone. One overnight charge keeps you powered all day long. And Phantom is custom molded to your ear and is sweat and waterproof, so it's comfortable all day. Soundgear is American-owned and operated and a proud sponsor of Pheasants Forever. Go to Soundgear.com and see how Phantom or any of the other Soundgear products can change your life by protecting your hearing. That's Soundgear.com. This episode of the Flush Podcast is brought to you by Waltons, Aluma Trailers, Soundgear, Onyx Hunt, and by Nutrisource Pet Foods. My guest today is Greg Harson. Greg is a conservation officer for the state of Iowa. We'll find out what it's like to walk a day in his shoes, challenges current conservation officers face in the field, and of course, hear a few of his favorite stories from a lifetime spent protecting wildlife and wild places. Welcome to another episode of The Flush Podcast. I'm Travis Frank. I'm your host. And as always, Brandon Morton is our producer. Brandon, it is hunting season. I know it doesn't seem like it for a lot of us bird hunters, but it's morel mushroom hunting season. I know you and I share the same addiction to go hunting in the tick-filled woods right now looking for those tasty morels. Have you been finding any? yeah, it is my favorite type of hunting season personally. and i've I found something I think we found something like sixty this year. We've only gone a couple times, just a couple hours, but I mean, they were in like just unexpected right there spots. It was amazing. How about yourself? Yeah. I'm calling it the year of the morale. <laughs> and I've got a few buddies too uh, that have been hunting them for many years. And we have this text thread going and and we're constantly sharing information. But, Oh my goodness. I mean, it's like when I find them, it's they're everywhere. I went out just the other day with my brother and I think we found like 300 of them. 300 um, that's with yeah. two zeros at the end, right? Yeah, with zeros at the end. Yes, oh exactly. Goodness. I know, I know. I have been sharing them, uh not my spots, of course, but I've oh, been sharing course. the mushrooms. <laughs> yes. Um and I found like this this like the most beautiful sight I think I've ever seen was a a, mo- a morel mushroom bouquet—nine giant morels coming out of the same stump. It was unbelievable. I I actually posted a picture of it on my on my uh, Instagram and Facebook page. You can check it out on there if you want. But Brandon, this is a perfect segue because last week we just launched a brand new podcast. You and I, another podcast, outdoor related. This one is called the Do North Outdoors podcast. It's actually, if you search anywhere you find your podcast or this one, just search Do North Outdoors. And this podcast is a spinoff of one of our other TV shows. And if you've listened to this Flush podcast for a while, you know that we produce other television shows and that's how this podcast began. Well, my co-host and I, Natalie Dillon, Natty Up North, if you're an Instagrammer, social media, uh, you might follow her. She and I co-host that TV show, and now we're co-hosting a podcast. And last week was our first podcast, Brandon. What did we talk about? We talked about the morel mushrooms. <laughs> yeah, and, and right, we went over right. everything on like how to find them, you know, how to how to prepare them, you know, what to make with mm-hmm. them. We kind of went over the whole gamut of everything. So yeah, and then some myths too debunked a couple, maybe uh, or created maybe we created more. I don't know. <laughs> uh, it's funny because I've interviewed so many people over the years for different topics, and the morel mushroom is something I'm really passionate about. So. I've interviewed biologists, scientists, whatever you want to call them, mycological, my, mycology. I don't know. There's a guy from the Minnesota Mycological Society. Here's one thing that stood out to me the mushroom is the largest organism on planet Earth. It's incredible. But that's, isn't that incredible? Like it is. you just it's see this little underground? Yes, exactly. And I think I, was, I, I, missed, I misspoke when we talked about it. You'll hear it in the interview if you want, or in the conversation, but I said the morale mushroom. What I meant to say was just the mushroom, Um, because that you know there's there's so many mushrooms. But anyway, we talked about a lot of information, and hopefully, it helps you find them. I mean, the season is still going on right now, so it's worth your time to go listen to that podcast. That podcast is going to be about a lot of outdoor topics, variety, but all pertaining to what's happening right now. That's going to be our main goal. And obviously, right now, morels are popping. Fishing season, you know, we'll we'll talk hunting, we'll talk fishing, we'll talk uh, adventure, we'll talk camping, we'll talk cooking. That's right up now Natalie's alley. She's um, passionate about wild wild uh, game, wild game cooking, fishing, um, healthy outdoor lifestyle, all of that stuff. So, really looking forward to that. Hopefully, if you're looking for more outdoor content, we can. We can uh, fill uh, a void for you. And she has a wealth of knowledge. I just pretend like I know a few things and we share about that and we'll have guests as well. Give yourself some more credit there, Travis. You know a lot about a lot of things. I know a little bit. My brain is weird. It's so <laughs> funny, Brandon, because my brain, and I, my wife and I talk about this all the time. She's like, how do you know so much about that? And I'm like, I don't know. I have a very weird brain that it it absorbs Information and stories and real life, um, co- like real life events, I, they store up there. But I struggle to remember things like somebody's name. I can see their face and I know them, <laughs> but like I, I don't know how my brain works and why it does what it does. But when it comes to hunting and fishing stuff, it, it sits in there and I can remember something from 20 or 30 years ago. I don't know why, Brandon, but that's just the way I am. So I'm always trying to help people learn stuff, teach things that I've learned uh, from experiences and, you know, just real life out there, living it, doing it. So, um, but anyway, uh, Check that out, the Do North podcast. We hope you enjoy it. Now to our regularly scheduled program. Greg Harson is our guest today. Greg is a conservation officer from the state of Iowa. Greg, I know the state pays you to protect the land and the wildlife, but I certainly appreciate you taking the time to educate us today. Maybe that's a little bit a part of your job today. Is that okay?
1: That is a huge part of our job.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, how long have you been a conservation officer?
1: Uh, I started as conservation officer in 2001, and I'd been a park ranger for just about 10 years prior to that in the county conservation board system in Iowa.
0: Gotcha. What part of Iowa are you in?
1: I'm in the extreme northwest part.
0: Okay, okay. So you're in pretty good pheasant country then.
1: Uh, It's outstanding pheasant country, and the pheasants this year are just everywhere. So if we get a good hatch, this year could be just tremendous.
0: What are you seeing on the ground right now for conditions? Are you getting enough moisture? Are you happy with where the what the habitat looks like?
1: We are definitely dry. Um, our lakes are are very low right now and we could use a shot of rain, but it's kind of a catch twenty two if we get too much rain, it could hurt the pheasant hatch, but mm-hmm. if we don't get enough, we're not gonna have grasshoppers and things like that for uh, for feed for those later on. So could be an issue. Yeah. are you a hunter as well? Absolutely. Yes. Gotcha. So, yeah, I <clears throat> hunt hunt deer, pheasants, anything, do you, pretty much anything.
0: Do you feel like most conservation officers are hunters and anglers themselves?
1: I would say 98% are, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Well, it's interesting you said that you, you started around 2001, and that's when I was in high school around 2000. and I graduated in 2002, and I really wanted to be a conservation officer. There were several years there through middle school and into high school. And all I kept hearing at that time was, boy, it's tough to get into it. I mean, you might wait 10, 15 years to get the job you want to get. You'll have to do something else. You know, you can go to school for it, but there's a lot of demand. There's a lot of people waiting in line. And that ultimately kind of pushed me out of that career path. I, I chose something else because I just thought, well, I might go to school and never get that job. Did you experience that, that when you were in the program?
1: That is very common, yes. So, I uh, when I got hired, I was one of 800 that had applied for that position. Oh my gosh. We 800? Had, uh, yeah, we had five five positions available. And for anybody looking to do this, you have to put yourself to the head of the class and by doing going above and beyond. So you need to go out and volunteer at different, uh, projects. You need to become a hunter safety instructor, have your boater education. Uh, you know, if you can, for us, if you can get involved in trapping and teach trapping to others, those types of things look good on a resume and that's what it's going to take to get you to the top.
0: Do you feel like, your did you grow up hunting, trapping, fishing, doing all of that? I did, yes. So do you feel like that kind of set you above the others or what what stood out when they ultimately hired you? Why did they tell you why they chose you versus the other 799 people?
1: It was my experiences. Um I had been working with the county conservation board system for several years prior to that, almost 10 Prior to that, I was a uh, seasonal for the uh, Iowa Department of Natural Resources as a wildlife uh, summer employee and then a uh, seasonal for the fisheries department also. And when I was with fisheries, I sampled all the different forage that the fish would be eating. So I had an in with the, uh, the DNR through fisheries. And then when I, that position was only about four months long and I switched over to trapping turkeys. And, uh, so I was able to go and trap turkeys, which we traded to Louisiana for river otters. And that's how we got the river otters in the state of Iowa was by getting the trap turkeys and trading for them.
0: I find that, I find that fascinating. And in Minnesota, I believe we traded, I think we traded rough grouse for turkeys. If I, if my memory serves me correctly, how common is it for States to
1: barter that way? It's, it's, it's the barter system is alive and well. We have, uh, Currently, uh, the my, my office location is at the Spirit Lake Fish Hatchery, and Iowa produces a large number of muskies there, mm-hmm. and those muskies go all over, all over the United States, and some of our walleyes, just a plane came in last week for some of our walleyes to go to Arizona, so our fish are going everywhere, and we don't sell them. It's all on barter system where we get something back that we need for for stocking. It may be perch. It may be, uh, any type of fish, you know, wipers, something like that, whatever we decide we need at that time, then we'll barter for those.
0: What does Arizona have that you could possibly want to barter for?
1: (laughs) We haven't found out yet, but (laughs) now they owe us. (laughs) So you got
0: to put some cactus. (laughs) Exactly. Well, it's interesting. I I'm fascinated. I work with several, um, I know several DNR biologists and, and a few conservation officers in my area as well. And and I just, there's something about the outdoor world that just I I can't help but analyze, pay attention to, care about, I guess. Um, so I, I admire the work that goes into protecting it. And in your, let's see, how many years have you been in this now? You started in 01. So you've been a conservation officer for... Uh, 21 years about 20, 21 so, years okay yeah. and what does your role look like today versus what it looked like when you started
1: well I'm currently a captain so that that puts me in the office more but I still see the day-to-day activity and the roles have changed slightly in that uh, we have more when I started navigation was a big thing but it wasn't as huge as it is now when we had COVID hit everybody went and, uh, got a boat or a kayak or something like that. And they, they've been on the water ever since. So we've, we've kind of had to shift a little bit of gears to working all the navigation on the waters and keeping people safe out there and, and promoting the, uh, the use of life jackets and, and all that goes along with navigation. So that would be the biggest change. We, you know, the, populations of deer pheasants all those things fluctuate so any given year it could be more of uh, more of that the other big thing is there's not near as many people that hunt raccoons or trap as they used to just because purely of the price the prices are down and so the number of folks out doing that are just have dropped off
0: as a result of that what have you seen as for for the Maybe it's eggs, or you know, for the birds, I guess. Um, what what has been the the result of less trapping?
1: Well, so part of the result has taken care of itself uh, with more coons. Uh, the raccoons they're out there get overpopulated, and then disease will come in and wipe them out. We see some spots where they just get completely wiped out by distemper, and uh, in those areas, the the pheasant populations have been have been, come back strong. Uh, skunks, they're a huge predator of the pheasant eggs, and that is a, it is a problem. But our uh, pheasant population is still on the, is growing in, in spite of the, uh, of all the predation. Hmm.
0: So based on what you're seeing out in the field and the pheasant numbers in your in, you know, in that Northwest part of Iowa, for a couple of years now, I would say going back like four or five, I feel like Iowa was a sleeper spot for a while. Now it's pretty well talked about in the upland world. This is an upland bird hunting podcast. So I know the listeners are, are going to be, you know, paying close attention. Do you feel like it's at, you know, I mean, how would you put it population wise what you're seeing on the ground right now compared to the last 10, 15, 20, 30 years
1: we are probably getting close to the the highest number of birds that we've had in my career uh wow. it's just phenomenal around here and part of that's due to uh I'm a huge supporter of pheasants forever and I'm on their committees and we put a lot of habitat on the ground and that has played a huge part in that so you know the the birds the habitats out there if you put put the habitat on the ground the birds will show up so and it's, it's coming to fruition we're finally seeing all these things come to come together and seeing the birds that are out there so but our bird wow. numbers are are staggering and and uh people will come here that couldn't make plans out in south dakota and they're like i don't know why we haven't been coming here for years and we tell them we don't either. So, <laughs> you but, do you wel- do you
0: welcome the out of staters?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yep the uh, the people around here are very open to non residents coming in to hunt, and you there's a lot of public ground. Uh, I pretty much hunt public ground exclusively and find all the birds that I could possibly want. So, I I welcome people to come and. All they have to do is give us a call, and we'll point in, in the right direction. So, yeah, that's uh, that's one of the things that we are all about is is providing opportunity for others from other states. So,
0: you mentioned that people call. <clears throat> I think that's an important thing to discuss because I think that's probably true for most states most agencies conservation officers that if i let's say you know being up here in minnesota wanted to come down and hunt iowa i could call you or somebody else on your team and do you feel like most of your um your co-workers let's call them would give a fair give fair advice to out-of-staters
1: oh absolutely yeah they uh well for a couple reasons They're, they're not going to have time to hunt when you're hunting anyway, so you might as well come hunt. And, uh, the, uh, the conservation officers are the boots on the ground out there, their phones are listed in every one of our regulations. So just give them a call and, and they will help you out. They'll, they will provide you, um, locations and, and what they're seeing out there at the time, because they are working the opening days and, you know, that's, that's what they're out there seeing. So absolutely give them a call give me a call i'm happy to talk to anybody about about the hunting and and what what we're seeing out there on the ground
0: speaking of the the dialogue back and forth it's interesting last week our conservation officer in my county here in minnesota sent me a message and he said i i just saw a black pheasant out on this such and such property that he knows that I heard because he checked me last year when I was hunting it. And he goes, do you have any idea how this got here? And I said, no, I didn't. But if you see it again, send me a picture. Have you ever seen a black pheasant or have you ever seen an animal while you're working that you're like, what are you doing here? And how did you get here?
1: Yeah, we've, uh, we've seen black pheasants pr- before. Uh, it could be just, a. A melanistic phase of the uh of the pheasant i've seen uh pheasants that were almost white we've had uh uh and then we get our our standard moose and elk down here once in a while which they're not supposed to be here so what do you do when uh, that happens uh right now we're leaving them alone at one time with the uh concern of cwd we would we would put them down but since we do have cwd in the state now we have uh, chose to let them let them go, and they will. Uh, if they look healthy, we'll let them go. If they they're sick, then we'll put them down. But hmm. for right now, it, our protocol is to just leave them be and and let them go where they're headed. Hmm.
0: I want to circle back for a second to what we originally discussed. When why why did you want to become a conservation officer to begin with, and then also when I mentioned that, you know, it was so hard to get into it. And you said there were 800 people. Is it still that way today?
1: Yeah, to some extent. uh, We just hired, um, let me see here. A year ago, we hired four. And that, that class had 100 and some applications. Right now, the law enforcement is not something that people are really breaking down doors to get into. Mm -hmm. So the opportunities are, are better, but we, what we're seeing is a lot of law enforcement from other agencies are trying to get in with us, which, uh, we're a different type of law enforcement. We're not just out there arresting people every day. We have the background of biology and things like that, that has to be taught along with the uh, law enforcement. So that's a, that's a big thing, but for me to get into it, I think I wanted to be a conservation officer since I was 10 or 12 years old. Well, probably when I went through hunter ed, my hunter ed class and, uh, the hunter the conservation officer came in and talked to us and, and, uh, that was what spurred the, the, the goal of trying to get into this field. And I haven't regretted a day since. So,
0: well, I, I'm, pretty sure we're going to get into some of the challenges and things that you dislike about your job, but what do you love about your job?
1: I get to go out and do every day, be out in the outdoors, uh, dealing with the public. A lot of law enforcement officers have to deal with negative all the time. We don't see it that way. Our people, the people that are out there hunting and fishing, they're awesome people. I have met so many people over my career and it is it's a wonderful thing to be able to go out there and meet all these people and just be out there in the outdoors. They pay me to shoot guns and, and learn how to shoot properly. They, mm-hmm. So the training is all taken care of. You don't have to pay for that. Um, they put gas in my vehicle for me so I can go and see all these different wildlife areas on a regular basis. And, you know, the the conservation officers out there, nothing changes without them knowing about it in their territories. So that's that's the neat thing about it. They're always on top of everything in their in their area.
0: Is it true that conservation officers know the best of the best spots everywhere in their county? Oh, absolutely.
1: If they don't, <laughs> yeah, they're not right. a very good conservation <laughs> <Yeah>. officer.
0: <laughs> right, right. That's one of the perks of the job, obviously.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. What kind of training do you have to go through today to become a conservation officer? Is it a is it a full 4-year degree or is it a 2-year degree?
1: Uh, so the job says that you're only required to have high school education. That is a fallacy in the, in the big scheme of things. Most of the people that we hire have at least a minimum of two year, uh, more likely four year for most of the people that we hire. And then once you get hired on with us, that's when the real work starts. You would either have to go through, if you're not already certified as a law enforcement officer, then it's a 16-week police academy through um, our Iowa Law Enforcement Academy. After that, you would have to do a about a 14 to 16-week DNR academy, which is teaching you the, the hunting rules and regulations, fish, fishing, all the commercial aspects, such as uh, commercial fishing, commercial turtle harvest, uh, bait dealers, those types of things. And then after that, they go through an FTO program, which is a field training program. And that is another uh, nine weeks. And after all that's done, then hopefully we get to send them out to the field. So in, in a territory.
0: Waltons, what? Can I say they are the ultimate online store for everything you need to prepare and cook your meat from wild game to pork and beef? They've got you covered. Their tagline is everything but the meat for a reason. A few weeks ago, they launched a new website to make your online shopping experience even easier. Walton's.com has over 5,000 items on their site in stock and ready to ship the same day. I went to their site the other day to purchase jerky seasoning for my son's big old gobbler. I found the seasoning. plus barbecue sauce, a new thermometer, steak seasonings, gloves, and a handful of other items. There's so much to choose from. It's just incredible. From grinders, mixers, stuffers, slicers, smokers, vacuum sealers, seasonings, and so much more. They also host their own podcast called Gistics and host live stream videos and chats to help you make the most of your cooking experience. Check them out at waltons.com. The Onyx Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day. I talk about the Onyx Hunt app every week. That's simply because I use it on every hunt. Seriously, every hunt. Their app tells me everything that I need to know about the land that I want to hunt and the lands that we can all legally hunt on. If you've used it yourself, then you know that the Onyx app shows your location on planet Earth and clearly lays out the land boundaries. It also tells you information about the type of property you're on, like state-owned land, federal lands, and walk-in access properties. It's ideal for scouting before the hunt and during a hunt to help put together patterns. The app also has helpful features that show you the kind of crops that are in the fields, which obviously is a big deal for us upland bird hunters. These are just a few of the many tools Onyx Maps give you. And these maps can even be used in areas without cell coverage. From the palm of your hand, Onyx Maps always help you to know where you stand. On average, how long does somebody have to wait? Once they're ready, once they've got all the training, you know, you, you said you did all these different volunteer programs and you you worked in different areas waiting for your turn. On average today, how long are people waiting for a job to open up that they can get?
1: depends if they're picky or not if if you're trying to come into Iowa you may be waiting a while because we don't hire very often since I've been on I think there's been three people that have left uh, total that have just gone to find a different job the rest of them have either retired or, or passed away in the in the career so the the turnover is very little in our state we do have states surrounding us that have, uh, that are always hiring also. And so we see a lot of, a lot of people going to those states first. And then eventually if they want to get back to Iowa, then we hire them back from those locations, but they're going there and getting some very good training and getting, getting the feel for the job. And then we, uh, we can go from there. We do have a program that's available. That's, uh, our water patrol program, mm-hmm. which we hire college age students and those college age students go through a two week training in in the spring. We're just finalizing that right now. And then they work for us all summer long as, uh, that we call them water patrol officers. They're seasonal and they do have authority to write citations for navigation issues. So speed and distance life jackets, those things. Mm -hmm. So those people out of the ones I had on for me last year, we had four of them that were not returners. And every one of those were hired in a state surrounding surrounding Iowa for a full time position already, so they didn't have to wait very long.
0: The experience uh, is key, obviously. There, it's interesting. I did a ride along one time with another uh, television production company that was potentially going to film a TV show called Water Patrol, which would be similar to Cops. Um, okay, and I mean just just riding along on. That shift that we did, there were multiple drunk boaters that got citations. There was somebody that was missing. Um, It was crazy. I mean, this was on Lake Minnetonka, which in Minnesota is you know kind of the biggest. uh, It'd be like your Spirit Lake or Okaboji, I guess. Okaboji's area. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just a big party lake, and but I just found that I in in my heart of hearts, sitting there watching people. Their lives were forever changed because of their their stupid choices, you know, and and we had a camera pointed at them to film it. And I just felt terrible. I felt awful being in the boat there. And and the conservation officers, the or the water patrol, they were working with the the sheriff. And you know, they're doing their job, obviously protecting the other boaters out there. And those people should not have been doing it. But the TV show never took off, and I'm glad for it because I wouldn't want to stuff stuff a camera in their faces all the time. But I think what I'm getting at is just the sheer amount of stupidity out in the field, the sheer amount of laws that are broken. I mean, we could have pulled over, I don't even know how many dozens and dozens of people for minor uh, infractions, but they just basically focused on on the major ones. And that was just one shift, (laughs) one shift and one evening on the water. I mean, the amount of law-breaking that goes on out there is astounding. And I know you've got case upon case upon case, but are you okay? And I know the state of Iowa is going to listen to this, and I don't want to get you into any kind of trouble, but I feel like it's fascinating to hear about some of the stories that you run across. Maybe it's dumb dumb criminals, uh, scary moments in the field, but if 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 there's one story that somebody asks you, let's start with that. One story that you tell people about from your time over 20 years out in the field patrolling that you're just like it comes first, top of mind to you. Can you tell us that?
1: Well, there's there's so many so many different uh, stories out there. You know, uh, we go. One of our jobs is to make sure that people aren't having parties on wildlife areas and things like that. So there was one time that we had a, uh, uh, a report of a, um, some suspicious activity going on on one of our wildlife areas. And it's in the middle of the night and it's dark. And this location is people always claim that it's haunted and all this type of stuff. So we're walking out there and just for the record, I don't believe in ghosts. So I, wasn't overly upset about it, but we're walking out there and all of a sudden I feel something on the back of my shirt and it's the deputy behind me. He's, he's got a hold of my shirt right behind me. So (laughs) I don't know if he was using me for cover or what, but yeah. And then when we got out there, uh, it was a big party and we ended up, uh, taking that party down and, and arresting several people. But once he got out there, he was fine, but that walk out there was tough on him. So really? uh, Oh yeah. (laughs) How many had Kate? go
0: ahead uh, how many escaped
1: and how many did you get oh we got them all they were too far from cars to be able to escape so they we got them all we rounded them up so that's impressive that was, that's impressive that mean, I'm guessing high school kids uh they were they were older than college yeah we, really? we live next to a metropolitan area and and we get people coming over from from other areas so yeah they they weren't expecting to see us out there. I've had situations similar to that with, uh, honey our uh, working coon hunters mm-hmm. and coon hunters run dogs at night and you can hear the dogs for probably a, over a mile. And I've had, uh, situations where we suspected the guys were, uh, spotlighting. And so you sneak up on them and, and lay down in the fence line. I've had dogs run basically right over top of me. And then when the, uh, the coon hunter comes past you, you stand up and find a tree to hide behind and announce yourself. And, uh, boy, they, they become believers right then when, when they see a conservation officer a mile from the truck and out in the middle of the woods. So they never expect it, but you never know where we're going to show up. So that's part of it.
0: Do you just, is your adrenaline just pumping as they're coming? Dogs are barking, they're coming your way and you're, you're trying to hide and find a spot. Do you just spotlight them then?
1: Yeah, I don't, uh, yeah, you hide until the the dogs don't pay any attention to you because they're they're looking for one thing and that's raccoons. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the the you know most of the time these guys are are doing everything right, but we get a few that will bring a dog that is less than stellar and and so they're just spotlighting the trees to find the raccoons, which is unlawful in Iowa. So we uh, we're out there to to curb that activity and. Once we catch a few of those guys, word gets around pretty quickly. So
0: So the idea there is the, or the, the law infraction that they are guilty of would be they just brought a dog out there and they're claiming it's a coon hound, but the dog doesn't yeah. really know what it's doing. They're just walking around with the spotlight, shining, shooting
1: raccoons up in trees. That's correct, yeah. How yep. do you and prove that? Like when it when it was when it was when the uh when the coons were worth money, that's what they were doing a lot yeah how do you prove, that? prove it pretty easily uh you if so if the dog is not treed on the tree that the coons are in they cannot use a spotlight in iowa so if if we're standing there watching that dog and it's not treed on that and the guy's shooting a half mile behind us you know that they're uh they're just spotlighting so we have to observe the the crime and and that's the way we do it so mm-hmm. but once we find uh so if they've got a pickup load full of coons and we watch them take two or three of them illegally, that whole load is contraband. So they lose the whole load of coons. So, what other fines do they face? Um, sometimes it's license. You know, they have to have the proper licensing. So sometimes they don't have fur harvester licenses. Uh, sometimes they're trespassing, which, uh, you know, is a the uh, landowner would have to file a complaint on that, but those are the the main main problems would be use of artificial light the trespass and then no licenses quite often if they're younger kids quite often they don't have the proper licensing
0: what is the biggest crime that you've busted
1: oh we've busted some uh deer crimes that were very large uh i didn't do them by myself but there's you know in Iowa you could have to pay up to $25,000 liquidated damages for a deer and uh per deer yeah yeah for a buck if it's uh the if it's a big enough buck yep so you know there's some dollar amounts get to be really high we've uh in the past probably 15 years we've probably taken down several guiding services that have have used Fraudulently gotten licenses for their clients to come in and take a a buck. Uh, the the people will get a get here non-residents will come on doe tags and then harvest a buck. And uh, if we catch them, then then they're facing some steep steep fines. We had a case just this past year where it was in my district that the the fines for I think it was four individuals was a little over eighty thousand. So we, uh, we have some, some high dollar things going on in the state where they're taking them. The other large things would be, we, several years ago, we had turtles, um, some big turtle harvesting, uh, violations go on in the state. And, uh, so we've, that, that comes into some big money, some bait dealer things that have come into a large amount of money.
0: What could a turtle violation look like? What does that even mean?
1: So at one time, the turtles were harvested, snapper turtles and the uh, uh, spiny soft shells were harvested for sending over to China. The the, uh, people from China would like to eat the uh, snappers and the uh, soft shells, and they would pay to have them shipped over there. So the turtle buyers would buy them. For anywhere from a dollar fifty to three dollars and fifty cents a pound, and it was pretty well unregulated uh, in my early career, and people could make a lot of money on on those turtles. Uh, so we we had a law that didn't allow non residents to come in at that time, and and we had some non residents coming in and and harvesting turtles inland in the state, so we uh, we made some cases on that so
0: how do you bust them how do you catch them are they putting nets out there are they spearing they them are they what are they doing to catch them
1: uh you find that uh the stuff to keep ticks away from you is is your friend uh insecticides we uh, spend a lot of time in the weeds and sitting along rivers watching waiting for boats to come up uh we we get help from the public we have a tip line that, uh, will provide us with at least an initial read on what goes on, uh, hotels, the hotel managers quite often will give us some information. So those are, those are things that we use to, to find out what's going on in the area that, and, uh, spending a lot of time out in your territory, you know, going to the coffee shops, talking to the, there's people in these towns that, nothing gets by them. They know exactly what's going on and you just got to find those people and, and, and be able to uh, get the information from those people because one person in two counties can't do it all. I guarantee you that it takes, takes the help of a lot of people and wildlife crimes are not very, people don't like people causing problems with wildlife crimes. So they're more than willing to help us out with, with uh, Mm -hmm. information on those. So,
0: how often are people being watched in the field by a conservation officer and they don't even know it?
1: Quite often. There's uh, some people I've, one of the, my favorite things in, as a conservation officer was, I'll go up and check somebody and they'll say, oh, I've, I've been fishing my whole life and I've never been checked. And that, that is probably an accurate statement. However, he's never been checked physically. Uh, we've probably watched that person fish for hours and just come to the conclusion that there's probably nothing there. We're not wasting our time going in on it. So the, you know, we do sometimes go and just do all sorts of compliance checks where we just walk from one fisherman to the other, just checking for licenses. Mm -hmm. But you're not usually going to find the big cases doing that. What you're going to find the big cases doing is sitting back, watching, waiting And observing, you know, maybe a tip or something that you had heard in the coffee shop, uh, just waiting for those things to come to fruition. So you have
0: to bust somebody in the act before doing anything or before you can make a move. Is that correct? Like, let's say I've seen Bill Johnson go out on a on a hunt Eight days in a row, shoot his limit. I know he's over possession limit. And I tell you, Greg, I know for a fact this guy's over his possession limit. Can you go to his place and look into his freezer? Or are the laws now changed to protect that hunter, that angler, whatever it might be?
1: So Iowa does have a law that uh, we can go in there. We would we would secure a search warrant prior to doing that. And uh, search warrants are very easy for us to, to get. Uh, if we've got all the elements that are required, so we would, and if, if we can't secure a search warrant, it probably, we don't probably have enough information to, to do it anyway. So, um, we try to err on the side of, of getting search warrants and going in. If a person like say you would give us that information, then if we can use you as a, if you're, if you're willing for your name to be out there, then we can use you on the search warrant application. As a credible witness, and then the it makes it a lot easier to get the search warrant. If not, then we may have to do a little bit more work. We may have to uh, go observe that person for one more day and be able to state that they are doing whatever act that you claim they were, and that your story would probably make sense. So, hmm. uh, the other thing we can always do is just go talk to the person. And people have a tendency of of trying to lie initially. But within the first few minutes they'll they'll come around and and would rather tell the truth than than uh, try to continue to lie. So
0: Sure. How often do hunters or anglers make mistakes where they call and say, Hey, this was an honest mistake. You know, I thought, you know, maybe it was their pheasant hunting and they shot a hen and they call and say, you know, I, I'm deeply sorry for this mistake. It, you know, as a crossing shot, I took out a rooster and a hen got in the way or whatever it might be, you know, do they, does the punishment always fit the crime, I guess? Or are there in this, in this outdoor space, is there leniency to say, you know what, this is an education moment that I can teach you. And, you know, they're, they're admitting what happened out there. Therefore, I'm not going to give that person a fine or a ticket.
1: Uh, officers always have discretion. They are have the ability to, depending on where you're at and what state you're in. But our our officers have the discretion to issue a citation or not issue a citation. Uh, they may be may warrant a warning, but quite often, uh, you know, we do issue a citation. We we uh, will issue the lowest amount that we can find, mm-hmm. but that's up to the officer. That's up to the situation. You know. Um, but we do have people re- turn themselves in regularly. It happens all the time. You know, somebody may shoot a, shoot a Turkey and they go over the top of the hill and they find out that there was another Tom standing behind it and it got, got in the path of the shot. So, you know, those types of things happen. Could you get a citation? Absolutely. Uh, the best thing to do is always call though. Cause if we find out about it later on, then, then there's going to be an issue. Sure.
0: Sure. have you ever had a moment
1: in the field that you were scared for your life? A couple of them. We've had, uh, we've done takedowns on some, uh, pretty dangerous people before. And, uh, it, I don't know that it was during the time that I was really afraid for my life, but afterwards it was like, holy cow, that could have gone South really fast. So yeah, I, uh, I've arrested a, a few people that have been uh they had warrants for their arrest and escaped prison and assaulted officers and once i got them arrested and and into custody you find out all this stuff and reality hits you pretty quick but that's where you just got to go back to your training and uh don't second guess what you're what you're doing so
0: can you can you tell us why you were brought in on a case like that i mean what 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 was the, the the reason that you were called versus
1: a regular sheriff? So there's two two things here. One of them was I was on standard Patrol one time, and I saw a person uh, pulling wire off of a house that I knew the residents of that house, and I knew that those people weren't supposed to be there. So I called and asked for backup, and my closest backup was, oh, it was probably about 20 some miles away. And, uh, the guy, I saw the guy start breaking windows and I didn't know if the people that were living in that house were in there or not. So I went up to the subject and he, uh, he started to run away from me and I was able to trip him and and put him into custody. And then I found out that he had a partner that was passed out in the truck with him. And both of them were, were subjects that, that had, uh, warrants on for arrest. So They were pretty, pretty bad customers. They, uh, so that was one situation. It just was a place that you're in the place at the wrong time at the right, wrong place at the right time. And the other thing is our, uh, the deputies in our rural areas rely on us as much as we rely on them. So, you know, we're one person in two counties and if it wasn't for the other outside law enforcement agencies, we'd have no backup at all we don't run two man cars we run by ourselves and so you've got to be able to handle the situation and know when it's time to back out of a situation so but we we get into like if a sheriff's office was taking it down a house that was suspected narcotics then they would call in everybody from the state patrol to us to the sheriff's office to help out with that type of thing
0: Nutrisource Pet Foods just launched a new product that can give our active hunting dogs a big boost when they need it most. It's called Kombucha. Nutrisource Kombucha, inspired, of course, by Kombucha, is a savory, meaty bone broth topper that's packed with activated postbiotics from a fermentation product that thrives in the gut to promote a healthy gut ecosystem for digestion support. That's a mouthful. But what it means for us bird dog owners is that we now have a healthy topper to pour over our dog's food if they're ever stressed or won't eat while on a long hunting trip. Campucha is offered in three flavors, turkey, beef, and chicken, and comes in a 12-ounce pouch. Nutrisource high-performance dog foods provide exceptional healthy nutrition for active dogs of every breed just like my dog Daisy. Now they have a topper that gives our four-legged hunters another edge when they need it the most. Check out their full lineup of dog foods at NutrisourcePetFoods.com. Aluma Trailers, They've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa. They have models for nearly any and every hauling need, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say Aluma trailers tow gear like a dream, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumakln.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. For everything that gets you outdoors, Aluma Trailers will help you get there. How about in a hunting situation? Have you ever been uncomfortable or a little worried about your your own personal safety? I mean, you're you're talking to people that have guns in their hands
1: every day. Sure, I, yep. Uh, I can think of one instance where I... Uh, did a stop on a truck that had just gotten done spotlighting a whole bottom. Uh, I watched them run the spotlight that entire time when they hit the road, I turned on my lights and stopped them. As I approached the, uh, the door, the, uh, a gun barrel comes out of the door Mm. and I was close enough that I was able to push the gun barrel away. I don't think the guy had any intent of hurting me. However, anytime you have a gun that is loaded, and it comes in your direction, it makes the hair stand up on the back of your head. And in that situation, the guy was trying to get his gun unloaded. It, at that time of my career, the uh, guns had to be unloaded and in a case. And he was trying to get it unloaded so the fine would be less, is what he told us. So his fine wasn't less. Oh, he, got, yeah. he, he got the ma- He got the maximum on that one. So...
0: Do you guys still have sting operations? And I ask this because I've been talking with the Minnesota DNR about going along, taking along on a, on a sting. You know, they have these things called robo deer that yeah. they can put out on a suspected poacher's area and wait. And they've we've stayed in touch and I haven't been able to join them. But we did a story for Minnesota Bound, one of our other TV shows, probably 20 years ago, maybe a little bit more than 20 years ago. And I'm wondering, you know, are those still a thing? Are they still out there? Do you use them?
1: We do. Yep they're they're one of our tools in our toolbox. Um, We uh, we can set them up on uh, uh, private land or public land, wherever it is, and set them up so that if somebody was passing by, they could uh, either spotlight them, or if we've got a place where a private landowner's been having a ton of ton of problems with uh, trespass we can set them up and, and catch somebody for trespass the same way. So, yes, we still we still operate those. That's that's one of the things.
0: Uh, I, I hunted with – I went grouse hunting in northern Minnesota with a retired conservation officer wounded on the job. And during one of those robo deer sting operations, they got into a chase with the guy. He was driving his truck, the conservation officer, driving his truck to go – come in quickly on the person, didn't have his headlights on because it was a sneak operation. They were trying to come in without the poacher suspecting, and he hit a culvert on a ditch, flipped his truck, rolled it, and it didn't paralyze him, but he walks with a severe limp today. It took him years to recover from that accident. Do you know anybody that has gotten into an accident on or in the line of duty or have you have you gotten into any accidents yourself
1: i knock on wood i have not gotten into any accidents um we go through something called ledt for us it's uh, law enforcement drivers training and we we work on uh both high speed and low speed maneuvers and become familiar with our vehicles we have had officers that have gotten into very bad accidents, but thankfully all of those guys are still working and we can replace vehicles. Uh, we are one of the few law enforcement agencies, basically the only one by code that allows us to operate without headlights at night. And so we do spend time without lights on in the fall. Uh, we try to spend as much time sitting, you know, like a field driveway as possible, but there may be some times that we have to move from one place to another without lights so that we don't, uh, give away our position. So, mm-hmm. so that's, that's still something, uh, our guys are, we try to pound into their head to be as very as careful as possible. Cause that's a dangerous, dangerous situation. So, but it's also a, a very good tool to be able to utilize. So,
0: Dumbest criminal you've ever caught?
1: Oh, it would probably have to be, we were working fishermen on the Missouri river and I saw a guy underneath a bridge and uh, I was with a new officer and I told him, I said, Hey, put me up on that sandbar. So he takes the boat and drops me off on the sandbar. And I jump off and the guy's got a, a guitar case and I get, The closer I get, I see that there's something just not right there. And uh it ended up that he was uh drying marijuana on the sandbar and that guitar case was absolutely full of marijuana. (laughs) So he uh he's like, I never expected any law enforcement to be out here. And yep, nobody ever does. So right. Oh my gosh.
0: Um, how has social media changed the changed your job or other conservation officers around the country i mean there's a lot of dumb criminals that post their crimes on social media do you have anybody that looks scans across it to? oh absolutely
1: yeah how how does that work uh, our all of our officers are allowed to use social, social media and uh we make a lot of cases on social media and some of the people are just ignorant they don't know the law but others are trying to avoid the loss. So, you know, we, uh, we get a lot of tips on social media. So then we'll go in and look, or we get, uh, they'll screenshot a, a social media post and send it to us. Uh, I am old school and I, I don't have a lot of skills with social media. So I rely on the younger officers to, to help me out there, but we make a lot of cases on social media. Yep. Th- this might
0: be the dumbest question that I ever ask on this podcast. I don't know. I ask a lot of dumb ones, but is it illegal to pee out of a boat or pee in a field when you're hunting? Well, so... <laughs> I mean, I te- think, I think te- almost technically, everybody everybody technically, can say they've
1: probably done it. Technically, it could be. Um, You've got to... So, for one thing, I'm not going to collect the evidence. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the uh the other thing is uh you know are you doing it uh in a proper manner i guess if you're if you're showing off to everybody on the shoreline then then you could have a problem so but i would say as long as you're being discreet about it probably not depends because okay, it would be
0: in. it would the crime would be indecent exposure then correct correct okay gotcha. which comes
1: along with different things that you have to meet so
0: sure sure okay fair enough um what are the most common crimes hunters make out in the field
1: probably forgetting to buy their hunting license or habitat fee for iowa you're required to have a hunting and habitat fee so you know buying one without the other uh waterfowl hunters quite often they'll forget to buy one of their stamps so, you know, it's, it's regulation parts that are the, the main things. The next one would be misidentification of game. So they're, they're thinking that they're shooting a rooster and they actually shoot a hen. So, you know, that's one thing I would say to hunters that they need to know their target and know what's beyond their target. Cause, uh, we've been to one of our jobs is to work the hunting incidents. And I've been to a more than I care to be uh, hunting incidents where, people shout their friend or their their son or their grandpa whatever it was and you know none of that stuff is intended but it's it's all it it could be changed by not getting fixed on the target and knowing what's beyond it so
0: what's the 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 grossest I think that's the right term over limit over possession that you've ever seen somebody have in your area was it was it birds? Was it
1: fish? I, we've had some awful big cases on fish. We've had some, uh, I had a guy trying to get into Minnesota early in my career with, uh, he showed us his pheasants and he had about, I think he had six six or seven pheasants in his one cooler, but I saw blood on a cooler in the front. It was just a drop and I asked him to pull that out and he didn't want to pull it out. So We, uh, we sat there and talked for a few minutes and I got a couple more officers there. We pulled that other one out and I think it was 20 to 30 pheasants at that time. So, uh, that was a lot of pheasants over bag and the uh, other one would be deer. We had that one subject with, it was over 40 deer with a couple guys. So over a period of time,
0: what do they tell you? Do they ever say why they do it? Is it something inside of them that says, I just couldn't help myself? I mean, what did what are the reasons why somebody you know, is so awful at I mean, just they, so they grossly? Just can't,
1: they can't quit. It like you might go out there and fish for 20 days and never catch a fish, and then all of a sudden they're biting and they just can't stop. And some of these people make it all right in their mind saying that. Well, I didn't catch any yesterday, so I'll take that limit too. Well, it's a daily possession limit, not a or daily bag limit, not a possession limit. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's part of it. You know, most of the people that we deal with are very good people. They just make very bad mistakes, and you know, that's the one thing I've I've found out in my career. I've had one person that didn't thank me when the uh, when the time came to to be done with everything. So, I guess I'll take that so sure. they're they're all all decent they're they're human beings but they they just made a mistake so you know mm-hmm. it's we're out there to correct their behavior teach them and not punish them so that's for the courts to do
0: what keeps you up at night
1: uh worrying about the other conservation officers out there doing their job uh making sure they're safe that's probably the biggest thing you that I that concerns me. Um, the wildlife populations are doing well. We've got tremendous biologists out there making sure that everything is is where it should be, and so I think we've got game for our next generation if if everything goes properly. So nice.
0: What can hunters do to make your job and other conservation officers around the country uh, your jobs easier?
1: Call us when the. Uh, violations are actually happening not two days later uh it seems like for whatever reason guys will call us and they say i saw this happen two days ago and by then the the person's maybe out of the state or or back in their other county you know so call us when the violation's happening and uh no matter what time of day or night it is so that we know if we don't answer Uh, we'll check our our messages and, and go from there, but that's the, that's the biggest thing. They just need to help us to, uh, to put the stop to something going on and we can't do it two days later.
0: We've, we've had a few stories that you've shared that, uh, you know, about people doing dumb stuff or, you know, scary things. There has to be days where you come home and you're just like, gosh, that was a good day. I met some amazing people doing amazing things. What are what are some things that you have seen out in the field where you're just like, oh, we need more of that in this world?
1: Um, I've seen people take the time to take kids out hunting, take kids out fishing. We have a, uh, a fishing club up here at the Iowa Great Lakes that I think the other day I heard them say that they have already taken over 600 kids fishing this year. That is, those things are huge, you know, mm-hmm. they are our future and for Iowa, we're special because our conservation officers are not paid by tax dollars. They're paid by hunting and fishing, uh, license fees, boating, ATV registration fees. So it's not tax dollars supporting our, our cause. It's the people out there doing it that support our cause. And, and, uh, these people are providing A sport for these kids and those are our future generation so that's huge just seeing those things but i have more good days than i have bad days coming home you know it's it's awesome every day you get to meet people from all different cultures i've got recipes from every culture out there to to learn how to to cook things so it's a it's been a lot of fun it's been a good journey
0: I think most conservation officers that I talk to or that I run in uh, in the field, or you know they're coming to check licenses or whatever. you know, we strike up these conversations because I you know i I respect what they're doing out in the field. I thank them. I'm glad to see them because i I mean, like you mentioned earlier, there's some people that have never been checked before, you know, and yes. I say, I'm not breaking any laws. I want you to come check because I want to know that there's people working to protect this out here. And um, so we always end up having great conversations. And I feel like most conservation officers are just like most hunters, most anglers out there uh, in that they just love the land. They love being out there and that's why they're doing the job. And unfortunately it comes with tickets sometimes when people aren't doing the right thing. But overall, I think the experience is probably going to be pleasant. There's not a lot of power trip out there um, uh, in, in that, in your line of work, would you agree with that?
1: I would agree with that. The, you can't survive in this position very long. If you, uh, if you treat people poorly, uh, you know, they, and you're once again, you're by yourself. So, uh, you need to treat people like you expect to be treated. And, and, uh, and I think our officers do a very good job of that. There's days when, you know, there are certain situations where it's time to not be nice but it's uh for the most part it's uh, our guys are do a tremendous job of of working with people and and treating them with respect just like they're they would want to be treated so
0: so if you had to go back and do it all over again would you still become a conservation officer
1: oh no question about it yep you might not get rich at it but boy I tell you what it's a good living and and uh you know there's no other job like it it's it's awesome
0: never know what you're going to experience from one day to the next i bet final question here uh if when you're all done and you retire what's the what's the number one story that's going to stick with you from your time out in the field
1: hmm i don't know it might be uh i i worked with another officer one time and we had information that a guy shot a deer out of a combine. And, uh, so this other officer and I went up and we started to investigate this, this situation. And we had permission from the actual farmer to, uh, go out and talk to his, his hired hand. And, uh, we got out there and stopped the combine and asked the guy to get out of the combine so we could talk to him. And the guy denied and denied and de- denied that he had, uh, done anything wrong. And, so uh the other conservation officer looked at me and he goes, "Well, Greg, are you going to take care of this?" And I said, "Sure thing." So I walked over to my my truck and grabbed my evidence kit. We carry an evidence kit with us, which had uh, swabs in it. And the guy goes, "What's he doing?" And John, my other conservation officer said, "He's he's going to find out if there's blood on this combine and if there's any deer blood, then we're going to seize the combine." And the guy rolled right then. He told us everything and by the time the day was over, he had his deer was in his sink in in a tub of water in a trailer house when we got back to the to the ranch and and uh he had he had the deer and so we uh we had to sign that guy up but that was it was pretty it worked out pretty well. Pulling out that evidence kit was all it took.
0: Wow. Well, and and the fear of the combine. It's one thing to lose an ATV or a car, but you're talking. I don't know how old that thing is, but a combine could be three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars.
1: Yeah, back then it probably wasn't quite that much. It's been a while, but it it was it was worth a lot. And the last. Could you have actually taken that thing? Could you have taken oh, the absolutely. combine? For, we we could have certainly seized it for evidence. Absolutely.
0: And but, even though that was a hired hand, could you have kept the combine from the farmer?
1: No, pro- we wouldn't have probably kept the combine, um, you know, but, but we could have certainly seized it. So
0: Wow. And by law, you probably could have kept it, right?
1: Probably. If, if the county attorney would be the one to, to decide that we, uh, we seize firearms and anything that goes, we had a, a group of people one time that came up and they, had hunted uh they were poaching deer and they had just been to cabela's out in mitchell south dakota two days before that and their truck was absolutely full of hunting equipment and uh we we did a sting on those guys and and did a search warrant uh the judge informed us the only thing that they were going back with was their pickup and they were out of staters from down south and uh that's what they did they they went back to their home state with nothing but their truck and we probably see three four thousand dollars worth of hunting equipment out of that vehicle plus the guns and everything else and uh they all paid cash for their fines before they left the state so it was pretty amazing wow
0: well when i was a kid growing up i always everyone always said that everyone from iowa comes up here to catch our bullheads (laughs)
1: <laughs> you, yeah. yeah there's some truth to yeah, that are islands still bullhead slayers oh if if, if they could find a good bullhead bite they'll go for it
0: but <laughs> we're, we're starting to
1: get them to figure out that walleye tastes pretty good too so <laughs> i love it
0: i love it well if you don't give them to the arizona uh department of natural resources you'll have a few more walleyes around i'm guessing yeah, nobody's think, nobody's traded <laughs> i don't think anyone's <laughs> asked you for any of your bullheads huh no, no. Oh, goodness. Well, that's just a fun inside joke for, <laughs> for people that always come up. We have friends in Iowa that would come visit. and Yeah, it, we always joked with them that uh, you cannot take our bullheads. You <laughs> leave the bullheads here. Greg, I, I appreciate you taking the time today and all the years you've spent serving the, the wild world and the wildlife and, and the people that go out there and enjoy the lands. Appreciate it. Any final thoughts before we end
1: this show? nope uh just let people know if they need something from iowa they're welcome to call anytime and uh take somebody out fishing or hunting that's what it's all about
0: awesome we'll leave it right there just like that i'm travis frank reminding you to take the time to introduce someone new to the field we'll see you next week on another episode of the flush podcasts